Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uninhibited creative freedom is something that I've been incredibly fortunate to, to have for the better part of my entire television career. Unlike anyone else I know of in television, I've been free to do whatever I want, um, to make the shows I want anywhere I want, with whom I want, in, in any style I want. At first, I don't know any other way, and by now, I won't have it any other way. Um, life is good. Why settle for less? In early June 2018, Anthony Bourdain, known in food circles as the original rock star of the culinary world, arrived in the Alsace region of eastern France with his close friend, Chef Eric Repair, the owner of the world-famous Le Baradine in New York City. Over the next several days, Bourdain and Repair toured the region along with the production crew for Bourdain's TV show, Parts Unknown, searching for the best food in France at lesser-known restaurants far removed from the tourist trail. During a break on the first day of shooting, Bourdain saw paparazzi photographs that had just been published in Chai magazine, showing his girlfriend of two years, Italian actress Asia Argento, in her hometown of Rome, dancing cheek-to-cheek and walking hand-in-hand with a French reporter by the name of Hugo Clement. Bourdain, 61, and Argento, 42, were both in open marriages and both slept with other people. But the photos of Argento sharing deeply intimate moments with the very young and extremely handsome Clement hurt him deeply. Over the next few days, Bourdain spiraled. He obsessively searched the internet for photos of Argento with other men and sent her dozens of text messages, some regretful and understanding and others scathing and condemning. But ultimately, he simply accused her of being cruel. Bourdain carried his pain into that week's shoots. The crew later described him as angry and Repair spoke of the dark mood he was in. On June 6th, Bourdain had dinner with Repair in the idyllic town of Colmar, France, before returning to their hotel. Repair, who was staying in the room next door, was worried enough to put his ear to the wall and was relieved to hear his friend snoring peacefully. The next morning, Bourdain texted Argento to address the affair, saying, I am okay. I am not spiteful. I am not jealous that you have been with another man. I do not own you. You are free. But, he said, you were careless. You were reckless with my heart, my life. Argento was unapologetic in response and bristled at his possessiveness before abruptly breaking off their relationship. After that day's filming, Bourdain ate early and went to his room alone. He again texted Argento, imploring her to take him back. Is there anything I can do, he asked. Argento responded, stop busting my balls. Bourdain replied simply, okay. Sometime later, alone in his room, his relationship with Argento over, Anthony Bourdain hanged himself. I'm Jason Beckerman. I'm Derek Hoffman. This is Last Days, Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain was not, you know, by his own admission, a great chef. He called himself adequate. Um, He thought he lacked the imagination and the artistry to ever really be one of the greats. He considered himself just a cook, he said, and made some enemies in the culinary world by criticizing many well-known personalities who cooked on TV and adopted the chef moniker to puff up their credentials a bit. But Bourdain was good enough to survive. For two decades, 
As a line cook in various New York City restaurants, he produced good food that people really liked. But his real skill was his likability and his gift for weaving great stories, which he used to ingratiate himself with the people who kept him gainfully employed. Bourdain finally got his big culinary break in 1998 at the late age of 42 when he was named the executive chef of Brasserie La Halle, a French bistro in New York City. The job paid well, but Bourdain nevertheless continued to struggle under debt that he had amassed for years as an underpaid line cook who'd struggled with a variety of costly addictions, from heroin to cocaine to alcohol and, of course, women. Things changed for Bourdain in 1999, though, the year he landed the top job at La Halle, when at his mother's urging, he submitted an essay he'd written to the New Yorker magazine titled Don't Eat Before Reading This. It was framed as sort of an advice column from a New York City insider to a restaurant goer. It had tidbits like order the fish on Tuesday when it's fresh and the chef is well rested and don't order meat well done because a cook will use it as an opportunity to serve you the worst piece of meat they have sitting around that's been sitting around for a couple days. The essay was meant to be funny and it was. And but what made it really work was Bourdain's sort of uncensored voice. It was raunchy. It was direct. He called out restaurateurs as sort of criminals and he even came close to naming names without actually naming names. He had sort of a gift in this article. I remember it very well for sort of in implicating certain people that are sort of well known in the restaurant in industry without actually saying their names. And he referred to patrons himself included as gluttons who hap happily overlook blood and organs, cruelty and decay for the sake of a good meal. The essay was an enormous hit, and within days of its publication, Bourdain was offered $50,000 to expand it into a book. The result was Kitchen Confidential, which came out the following year and spent the next 14 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. We, ha we have to pause on Ki yeah. Kitchen Confidential because... It was an absolute phenomenon. I picked it up. Uh, I read it when it came out. It's one of those books that everybody who was an adult at the time read this book, and it was water cooler talk. Everybody would speak about what they had learned in Kinship Confidential. The thing about, which I've heard repeated many times, you only order fish on Tuesdays because it can be bad other times of the week. You never order meat well done because it'll come to you, and it's a really crappy piece of meat they're going to give you because what really does it matter if it's well done? Those kind of things became kind of, you know, gospel within the restaurant industry because of Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, he pulled the curtain back on this industry that before then everyone thought as fussy, guys yes. in white coats, big uh, sort of chefs who were at a remove from the industry. He pulled that curtain back, said, I'm a line cook. I see what really goes on in the kitchen. And here's the dirty details. And we'd never seen it before. We'd never seen it before, at least without anonymity behind it, right? You had these sort of exposés where people say, well, I'm a, I'm a cook at a big New York City restaurant. I'm not going to tell you who I am. He came forward and said, this is who I am. This is where I've worked. And these are the things I've seen. And he really sort of put a lot of restaurateurs on their heels. He was really direct about what he decided as the, I believe, vague criminality of the entire restaurant industry. Yeah. It took a lot of people off guard. And he became an absolute hero. He was the hottest interview in town. He did all of the morning shows. He did Anderson Cooper and Oprah and Letterman. And he was getting 40 grand for an hour-long speech at corporate events, including my law firm. Unbelievable. Where we brought him in. It was a corporate event, one of these summer retreats. And Anthony Bourdain got up and he spoke. And he has, he's an incredible storyteller. He's got a way about him where he's very relaxed, but at the same time is like clearly the smartest guy there is. 
but he but also the really, coolest. But also the coolest. He's right. got the tats on his arm. It's clear that he actually was in the industry, so he didn't seem at all. And this is when he burst on the scene like a poser in yes. any sense. This was a guy who was clearly a line cook, clearly understood the restaurant industry. And even though he had his detractors who were saying, "Whoa, don't say this stuff about our industry. You're going to hurt it," and so forth. It was undeniable. Right. He was so charismatic and such a good writer that it just became gospel. And man, he became rich quick. I mean, this is a guy who had worked his ass off for decades, but yet at 44 years old, he said he never even had a savings account in his life. He was suddenly rich beyond his wildest dreams. Here's Bourdain telling the story about how Kitchen Confidential really did change his life. When that book came out, it was immediately a bestseller and it changed my life overnight. Overnight. I mean, I was desperately in debt. Hadn't paid my rent in time ever. Owed, had owed Amex for 10 years without making a single payment, owed the IRS, hadn't even filed, was in very, very, very insecure place at age 44. And suddenly, people were offering me things. So he immediately stops working at Leal, uh, the restaurant he had been with for a couple of years, and he parlays his literary success into television stardom. He tells a lot of stories about how he was reluctant to become a TV star. He knows there's a lot of criticism that can be levied at him. He was somewhat of a thin-skinned guy, and he didn't like criticism. Um, and so he knew by getting into TV that he would uh, be the subject of that criticism. He talked about how the Food Network actually approached him, but he's like, that's definitely not the kind of thing I want to do, that really prepackaged kind of gloss thing. He wasn't looking to be Bobby Flay. He was not looking to be Bobby Flay at all. So he went on to host the food and travel series, No Reservations on the Travel Channel for eight years, followed by Parts Unknown on CNN for another six. Both shows were huge rating hits. The Bourdain, who is described even by his best friends as cocky and lacked a little bit of humility, tried to humbly downplay his role in the success of the shows, saying all he did was, quote, travel around the world, eat a lot of shit, and basically do whatever the fuck I want. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, and Walmart, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. So download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. And the shows, I watch both of them. I watch Parts Unknown. I, I've seen all of these shows. What works is the authenticity of yep. Anthony Bourdain. He was really in his element. He could uh, go to a hole-in-the-wall restaurant, talk with the, the person at their level, but also add a level of sort of erudition. And, yep. and he was so good with words that... You're watching him sort of explain these things that are far flung and some of them are sort of down and dirty and you're just enwrapped. He was it was erudition on the one hand and but mixed with a tremendous amount of slang of yeah. of parlance, right? Of the way that 
chefs and cooks and people in the industry talk. And he brought that to, to the home viewer in a way that was really relatable, in a way that nobody ever had. I mean, you can watch Guy Fieri, for example, and he's sort of a relatable dude. But at the same time, he loves everything he tastes. Everything is the greatest hamburger he's ever had. There's a there's a lack of authenticity, to take the word you just used, in everything that he does. I like Guy Fieri. I watch I that too. show. But that's the joke. He, he'll put ketchup on a burger and he'll be like, oh man, what is this tomato sauce? And, and the guy's and like, like, it's, it's out of a bottle. And, and Guy Fieri's like, that's a good call on this. It's a good call on this. It's everything is... It, lacks that he's never gone into a restaurant and said he didn't like something. Bourdain, he did an episode that I watched of, of Parts Unknown where he was in a parking lot in Detroit over a, uh, a, a trash can that had a fire coming out of it. And he's like, here's how you work with something like this. Yep. And here's how you make great meat in any situation. And it was just, it was just relatable and fun and totally genuine. Yeah. He just didn't condescend to the audience and you could feel that these shows were perfectly designed for him and the shows really made him wealthy. And, and because the career success came later in life, he wanted to really enjoy it. So he drove fast cars. He often wore expensive clothes, but deep down, he understood that his role was to appeal to the common person, uh, both those watching at home and most importantly, anyone kind enough to serve him a meal. And he always maintained that groundedness. Um, I try to be a good guest. Um, there have been times where freshness is clearly an issue. Um, I know I'm very likely going to pay a price, but um, in almost every case, you know, a magic moment is happening. And I'm going to see a lot more if I just suck it up and eat the nasty bit. Um, the vast majority of those experiences are, in fact, very pleasurable journeys of discovery. Uh, but every once in a while, it's unpleasant. What's the worst thing that can happen? You know, it's a, a course of antibiotics. Uh, what do you get in return? I think a lot. Yeah, he was he was fearless about this. Sort of like Andrew Zimmern would eat like. Sort he of told me there's a chance of a course of antibiotics after I ate something because it doesn't just you don't just get sick. You get very sick when you have food poisoning. He's willing to take it on for 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 the goal of of imparting this knowledge and these experiences to other people. And he would know it's coming because he's yeah. an insider <laughs> in the industry. So he'd probably see a dish and be like, well, that's yeah. probably going to make he, me vomit he said all the night. Freshness was often in question. He knew it. <laughs> right. He knew it and still went for it. So, you know, everyone else sort of knew that Anthony Bourdain was the smartest guy in the room. But what was his trick was he never made you feel like he knew it. He had President Obama on his show once in 2016, and they just shot the shit together while sitting in a crowded restaurant. This is the president of the United States yep. with a guy who used to be a line cook and yep. was couldn't pay his Amex and they're just chatting it up in a restaurant in Vietnam. And it seemed like the most natural thing in the world. He's the kind of guy who just everyone wanted to be around. But for all the wealth and fame, Bourdain could never find true happiness. Uh, he married his second wife in 2007, and they had a daughter that same year who he loved desperately. But his wanderlust compelled him to hit the road again at its first opportunity. And he thirsted for meaningful connections that caused him to step out on his wife quite frequently. He and his wife formally separated in mid-2016, although she said they actually had lived separate lives for many years before that. In footage obtained for a 2021 documentary about Bourdain called Roadrunner, Bourdain repeatedly talks with friends and in one clip, a therapist, about their quest for happiness and its elusiveness to him. I'd like to be happier. I'd like to be able to be calmer. I'd like to be able to relax. I'd like to be able to, you know, look out the window and say, hey, life is good. And you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Never. Maybe a few seconds here and there. Do you really want to change anything? I suspect it's too late. But that was all before he met Asia Argento in Rome in 2016. 
Asya was a fledgling actor, having appeared in, among other roles, Triple X with Vin Diesel in 2002, and in a 2005 Gus Van Zandt movie called Last Days. No relation to us. Yep. Yeah. Bourdain fell hard for the Italian actress, and the relationship quickly escalated. He told People Magazine she made him, quote, happy in ways I didn't think I ever would be. He oozed affection for her in interviews and on social media, lauded her bravery when she publicly accused Harvey Weinstein of raping her at Cannes when she was 21 years old. And then he quietly paid off a young man who accused her of sexually assaulting him when he was a minor. Argento was brilliant and beautiful, irreverent and artistic, and her hold on him was complete. A friend told People Magazine he was absolutely lovestruck. Quote, he would have had done anything for her, and that was a little red flag for some of us. A parts unknown co-worker said on the Roadrunner documentary that Bourdain took what was once a crippling addiction to heroin and converted it into a crippling addiction to Asia Argento. The breaking point, uh, Derek, for the Parts Unknown crew came while they were filming a Hong Kong episode in 2018. The story goes, the show's director fell ill. And uh, at first, Bourdain suggested that Asia could step in for the director. And then when that really wasn't, was landing on deaf ears, she was sort of the Yoko, right? She was traveling with him a lot and kind of sitting in the corner and, and, and he was infatuated with her. He was completely infatuated with her. He began to insist that she become the director of the episode and he's the talent and he's been with them forever and he's the face. And so they eventually uh, gave in to him at one point later on, and this is in the documentary, uh, he's interviewing two uh, asylum seekers from the Middle East. They were in Hong Kong seeking asylum. And he's interviewing them about their lives and what it was like to escape where they had come from. And at some point, she says, let's cut this. I don't like the staging. And so these two gentlemen who are, you know- Pouring in, their hearts pouring out. Pouring their hearts out, very emotional. There's tears in the eyes of everybody. They have to stop down and move the table and the chairs over about a foot and a half and she says, all right, let's do it again, as if it was a scripted show and they were just feigning the emotional emotion of it all. And so you see in the documentary how they had to sort of get back up and muster again. The, 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 they had to go through the pain again of starting this story over from scratch. And it was just, it lacked authenticity because of this. And she really was... It's not her fault. No, she was she came out from of her debt. She and she came from an acting world. Right. She was a European actress, and so she saw the world in in a sort of uh, wanted to make it cinematic. But the beauty of Parts Unknown was the authenticity. Yeah. You would travel and have these conversations, and it sort of blossomed in its own way. She wanted to shoot a Fellini movie, and it was a sort of an awkward. Fit. And it's again, it's not even her fault. She just didn't have the experience. She was in out. Of, she was in over her head. She was out of her depth doing this, and he had sort of, and she wanted to do it. So in that way, she bears some responsibility. But he had sort of purposefully inserted her into this role that she really wasn't, didn't really have the training for and it didn't work out well and it really offended the crew. And so the next day, Bourdain's longtime cinematographer, Zach Zamboni, actually went up to Anthony and he questioned Argento's tactics and Bourdain quickly had him fired. He was completely smitten and you were not going to talk about his girlfriend as someone who couldn't do the job. And so he- To your point, this is the shades of Yoko, right? That's this is right. The rift between John and, and Paul was largely around a woman and it does sound like it. Producer Helen Cho, who was in Hong Kong at the time, she had traveled with Anthony for years, later said that he was now a different man than he had once been and that she had known for years. Quote, he pushed people away, people whom he had been loyal to for years. He left his base. He was not in his right mind. She said she told him he was playing with fire and he responded, yeah, I absolutely know, but what can I do? She loves me. Speaking of Argento. 
Four months later, on the morning of June 3rd, 2018, Bourdain arrived in eastern France to film the Parts Unknown episode with Eric Repair. As we said, that's his best friend and, and, and a famous chef in his own right. This was coincidentally the same day the Hong Kong episode aired on CNN. Bourdain was in a foul mood that morning, which the crew suspected was because Argento had opted to stay in Rome instead of making the trip with him to France. Later that day, Bourdain found out why, when he saw the paparazzi pictures of Argento rubbing cheeks and holding hands with Hugo Clement in Rome. Five days later, early in the morning of June 8th, Bourdain would take his own life. His body was discovered by repair later that morning when he went to his friend's room so they could have breakfast together. In the aftermath of Bourdain's death, dozens of Bourdain's close friends, cooks and artists mostly, expressed their deep anger at Bourdain for what he had done and at Argento for what they perceived as her role in his death. Bourdain did not leave a note or make a call or otherwise give any indication of why he took his own life. One of the great American storytellers opted not to tell the story of his own demise, and you can imagine some sometimes suicide is an impulsive act, and it does seem like this was building towards one of those impulsive acts. He was, as you said, very sensitive. I mean, he was cool. He had the tattoos. He did the shows. He could talk with anyone, but at his core and in this relationship with Asia, he was vulnerable. He really was, and and the way she sort of managed that, yeah. not to blame her. It's very difficult to impose that on someone. No. Uh, and, and and unfair, you know, she's texting and saying, you know, quit busting my balls. She's breaking she no up idea. with him. She's breaking up, up with him. him. And she's, she's entitled to break yes. up with him. She does not need to stay with him. Maybe the terms of their relationship weren't going to work between them. So to put that on her plate is, is difficult, but you can see how it just tore him up. Yeah. His brother actually had an interesting comment. Anthony Bourdain's brother, I believe his name is Stephen, had an interesting comment. He said he believes that morning that Anthony Bourdain was going to kill somebody. He was so angry, so enraged, and so beyond himself. It just so happens he was the only person in the room. And that's a it's a huge statement that his brother made. But he said if there was somebody else there, it may have been that person instead of him. He was just so violent with anger that he could not contain himself. And it at truly that point. must have been terrifying for the people with him. Eric Repair is a is a famous guy in his own right, but he's very sweet and soft spoken. Yeah. And you could understand the dynamic of their friendship, and you could see that a dark cloud was yeah. around his best friend, and he felt powerless. He would listen to the door to see that his friend yeah. fell asleep because he was nervous. And you could see him coming apart and couldn't do anything about it. For the documentary, Repair was it talked a lot about his relationship with Bourdain, talked very glowingly about him. He loved him dearly. But then they asked, can you talk about what happened on the night of his death and the morning you came by? And he said, I will not talk about that. He yep. can't talk about that. Argento was attacked relentlessly in the press and on social media for the very reasons we were just talking about. She spoke out months later saying she understood people's need to find someone to blame, but insisted she'd done nothing wrong. Her one regret, she said, was not fully realizing the amount of pain Anthony was in so she could have helped him. Rino Barilari, the paparazzo who took the photographs of Asia Argento dancing with Hugo Clement in Rome, was deeply regretful for selling them to the publication. If I had known, he said, I would have stopped. A picture is not worth a life. If that shot triggered his suicide, this would make me suffer. Perhaps Anthony Bourdain's unexplained decision to kill himself is destined to be the thing for which he is most remembered. But for Lydia Tanalia, the creator of Parts Unknown and one of Bourdain's closest friends, his legacy lies in what he brought to the world while he was here, not what he took with him when he left. You don't want his legacy to come off as like somebody who succumbed to like this darkness. That wasn't him. Like he created something that was so important. And I want that really needs to be like 
that is the legacy of his life. Not the stupid bullshit that he did at the end. <laughs>